Hi, this is Deanna. And this is Michelle. And this is Historable. So, Michelle. So, Deanna. What's up? <laughs> uh, I'm very excited for a Deanna-led episode this week. Me too. And per usual, uh, this is a topic that Michelle had found for me many, many, many years ago. We have a um, a spreadsheet where we just throw ideas down and different topics, and it's a really good spot for inspiration if you're just kind of in a little bit of a rut. A topic funk. A topic <laughs> funk, exactly. And so I'm like, let me check the let me check the list. I wasn't sure. And then there was one that said right next to it, Deanna would love this topic. <laughs> so I Googled it and I did. So today we are going to talk about Alice Roosevelt. Alice was an American socialite and daughter of US President Theodore Roosevelt, and she was well known for her wit, political influence, and scandalous behavior. I'm so excited. I have only, I know like very high level. I know like no detail. I just know pretty much that tagline about her. So that's how I was like, I feel like Dave would really like this one. So true. Honestly, she was an influencer before an influencer was a thing. So she is very fun. I'm so excited to talk about her today. I'm excited to learn about it. All right. Let's get into it. All right. Alice Roosevelt was born on February 12th. 1884. She was born in the Roosevelt family home in Manhattan in New York City. Uh, So for those who follow the Zodiac, she's an Aquarius. Take with that what you will. (laughs) (laughs) She was the only daughter to Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt and Theodore Roosevelt. So unfortunately, uh, two days after Alice was born, her mother tragically passed away. Probably like childbirth or something. So I guess there's these things called medical historians, which I didn't know. I mean, I guess it makes sense. But they believe that she actually had undiagnosed Bright's disease. And so what that is, it's essentially a kidney disease. of It's like chronic inflammation. And they Mm. think that the symptoms of this disease was masked by her pregnancy. Um, So that's what they think happened to her, something with her kidneys. I mean, who's to say? And obviously back in the 1800s, I'm sure, you know, medicine and all that wasn't what it is today. So, yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, she did pass away. Her death hit Theodore very, very, very hard. Um, So Alice, this new infant, just reminded him too much of his wife. And actually, going forward, it's said that Theodore never really spoke of his wife um, again. And, like, she's actually omitted from his biography. So, like, the pain for him was so great that he just couldn't take it. Yeah, and I feel like that has to be really tragic, too, for Alice growing up just without a mother and then not even getting to hear stories about her mother or anything like that. That's a whole tragic thing in and of itself I feel like 
Right. And the fact that his wife's name was Alice and his daughter's name was Alice having to like that name is and we'll yeah. see that later on in the story. It definitely um, left a mark on him very much personally. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, he was not in a good spot, very depressed, very upset. So he actually left Alice um, in the care of his sister. So he had a sister named Anna and he left. I guess he had a ranch in North Dakota. So he left infant baby Alice with Auntie Anna. So Alice spent pretty much the first two years of her life as an infant and baby with her Aunt Anna. And it said that throughout the course of their lives together, they became very close, understandably, because Anna was like a second second mother to her. Yeah, that makes sense. So in 1886, so at this point, uh, baby Alice is two, Theodore does remarry. He remarries a woman named Edith Kermit Corot, and that's when Alice moves back in with her father and then her stepmother. Growing up, I guess there was a lot of tension and a lot of vibes uh, between everybody. Kind of a, you know, I think his first wife was literally the ghost in the room. Unfortunately, both her stepmother and her father kind of took it out on baby Alice. So her stepmother, Edith, was very much aware that, hey, his first wife, Theodora, loved her. That was like the love of his life. And I guess she just kind of saw this baby as a representative of that love and was just very like cold to her. Um, I don't know how you can be cold to a child. Uh, That's so unfortunate. It is. Like, how could you marry the man and be like, I'm going to marry you and then be like, but I'm going to hate on your baby. But I guess that's just true of most stepmothers. I guess. And they ended up having five more children together. Um, I think it was five. Um, But also, too, I mean, Theodore himself could also had some distant vibes with baby Alice. So anyway, I think all of this had a big impact on Alice growing up. But on the plus side, she grew to be very headstrong, independent, persistent. Like, she kind of had to fend for herself and was really a strong, strong SB. Yeah. Yeah. It was said during her teenage years, Theodore and Edith actually wanted to send Alice to like a conservative boarding school. And Alice was like, nope. She actually threatened her father. And it said that she told him, if you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you. I tell you I will. And then they kind of were like, man, we're not going to mess with Alice and just kind of like didn't send her off to boarding school. They're like, all right, yeah, we actually believe her, like, that she will do this legitimately, so we're going to take it for what it is. <laughs> exactly. They were like, eh, we're not going to mess around here. In 1901, when Alice was 17, her father ascended to the presidency following the assassination of William McKinley. And so this really kind of thrust the family into the spotlight, obviously. The assassination, new president, He's got a huge family. There's a bunch of little kids running around the White House. Very different vibes from, I think, presidencies of the past. The following year in 1902, Alice officially debuted. So she did her debut into society. A debutante fall. (laughs) She did. And after she officially debuted, it was said she became a sensation like overnight. Everyone was obsessed with Alice. 
She was outspoken, beautiful, you know, they called her dangerous. Um, and actually, the public granted her the nickname Princess Alice. That's cute. Alice really thrived in the spotlight. And the more that the public ate it up, the more that she just like loved it. They loved each other. They really had this like great relationship with one another. So, you know, a lot of people really respected Alice because she was really ahead of her time. She was like, you know what? I'm not going to follow like the rules of the White House. Like, yeah, I'm the first daughter, but I'm going to do what I want. So she did the damn thing. She lived her life the way she wanted to. This also ended up her being on the front page of every tabloid in America and overseas. Yeah, I would imagine so. So there's a quote that I really enjoyed. Um, She wrote an autobiography in 1933 called Crowded Hours. And she's quoted as saying, I was the daughter of an enormously popular president and the first girl in the White House since Nellie Grant. And I looked upon the world as my oyster. And she did. So I want to talk a little bit about just some of her shenanigans, some of the fun influences that she had, and just like the way that she lived her best life. Awesome. So one of the things that became popular in the news was her reported favorite color. So it was kind of this like bluish gray, um, and it actually became known throughout the public as Alice Blue and became popular in fashion and things like that. Like it's very much like I saw Katie Heron wearing army pants and flip-flops, so I bought army pants and flip-flops. Like totally that. (laughs) She was the Paris Hilton of her time. She really was. I mean, like her fashion choices were out there. She was pushing the you know, pushing the mark. Everyone just ate it up and loved it. And she was influencing left and right. Now, in terms of some of her shenanigans, the list is long, but here are some of my favorite ones that came to be. Apparently, her parents banned her from smoking in the White House. So she just started smoking on the roof. Oh, geez. (laughs) Uh, She had a pet snake named Emily Spinach that she would carry in her purse. She I loved- think I did know that. And I was like, what a fabulous name, Emily Spinach. Emily Spinach. And she would just be chilling in the purse. Uh, she also loved betting on the ponies and would go bet on sports and horse racing, which was very scandalous for, I think, a woman at the time, but also like the first, la- you know, the first daughter. Right. Um, so she also publicly pronounced herself to be pagan, calling Christianity sheer voodoo, which was a was a move was <laughs> at that time. Quite the <laughs> statement in a predominantly uh, religious country. Exactly. Uh, she would drive a car all by herself. <gasps> the horror. And then she took it even further. By racing cars through the street of Washington. Oh, jeez. And scandal, she was accompanied by unmarried young men when she would (gasps) race her cars through the streets. Unheard of. So crazy. Homegirl stayed out until the early hours of the morning, partying, dancing, sneaking whiskey into dry parties, and really just like hanging out with the fun crowd and living her life 
There was one report um, during a 15-month stay in Paris. There was a French newspaper that reported that Alice had gone to 407 dinners, 350 balls, and at least 300 parties. So hypothetically, if that were true, she was like doing at least two events a day without a day off. I'm sure that was sensationalized, but... (laughs) But now we understand why her autobiography was titled Crowded Hours. Oh, I didn't even think about that. But yes, you're totally right. She had a busy schedule. (laughs) Now, not everyone loved Alice. I mean, she was... Haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. She was criticized by many who felt that she was just an embarrassing woman. She was being unladylike. And she was just going against social norms placed on women and how dare she but she was definitely the Paris Hilton of her time (laughs) exactly but like Paris uh, her supporters outweighed her critics (laughs) so she had too much of a fan base for anyone to care and it's wild when you think about like socialites like Kim Kardashian Paris Hilton those kind of socialites it's like they get so much hate but Eventually, they'll get, but also love, a lot of love. I'm like, really? They influence so much. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually crazy. So, the White House mailroom actually had to hire an additional receptionist who all this person did was sort through the fan mail that Alice received. She had her own little. Her own little PR receptionist. That's so sweet. Her own little fan club. Her parents didn't love any of her behavior. They were pretty conservative, but they kind of kept it to themselves because they could see, obviously, the public was obsessed with her. Um, So they kind of just kept all their frustration inside and let let the public enjoy her for what she stood for. Good political move on their part. There's actually this quote that shows up a lot where I guess her father, the president, was in like an Oval Office meeting and he kept getting interrupted by something to do with Alice. And he's quoted as saying, I can be president of the United States or I can attend to Alice. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. But like, I don't know. I feel like a daughter like that has to make life interesting. Yeah, I mean, never a dull moment with Alice. She is so cool. (laughs) So, like any conservative father with a zest-for-life daughter, they had their battles. (laughs) But, I mean, her father was savvy enough to capitalize on his daughter's popularity. And so he actually, this is pretty cool, in 1905... He sent her on a very high visibility trip overseas. And this trip specifically was a month long trip to Asia. Uh, she went with the then Secretary of War, William Taft. The trip had stops in Japan, China, Korea, and the Philippines. And I guess on this trip, they were negotiating what was known as the Treaty of Portsmouth, which was Japan's growing domination over Korea, and then also the U.S. interest in the Philippines. This was all under negotiation. So didn't go down that rapid hole, but it was a it was a pretty big thing yeah, to, for him to be like sending it. his daughter to. For sure. Yeah. So I guess when Alice 
got over to Asia, she was met by cheering crowds. She was welcomed into the highest courts by the emperors in Japan, dowagers in China. Um, So she really kind of acted as like a kind of a symbolic, what word am I looking for? Like representation of her father and like, it was a good move on his part. (laughs) She was a representative of... I was going to say of the crown, but I'm like, "Mm, we're in America. We have a president. (laughs) But I keep thinking about how, speaking of the the show, The Crown in particular, you see it a lot on there. But with the late Queen Elizabeth and her sister, right, you like see that like she was, her sister was like the fun one and beloved by everyone and was a partier and how she would get sent off to go get things done too because everyone loved her. Um, where the queen was mm-hmm. kind of looked at was like maybe like a little bit more uptight. So that's like kind of what I'm I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of him saying like, okay, I'm going to send my daughter because like this is what the people want. And if it's going to help this deal get signed, great. Exactly. So, I mean, Alice was smart enough to know how to network, how to mingle. She didn't completely abandon all of her her little fun and games. Apparently at one point on the trip, she did make news by jumping into a pool fully clothed. But that was like the craziest she got on this trip. Sure. (laughs) One of the historians, one of the articles I was reading, he said like, if you think about it, like Roosevelt sent his unmarried daughter to these places. So it really kind of also shows like trust, right? So Roosevelt saying like, hey, I trust my unwed daughter in you know your countries and so that probably helped build a lot of goodwill um at that time as well yeah yeah that makes sense so when alice came back from that trip um came back to the u.s there was a lot of speculation about her personal life and you know who she was dating and once she got back from that trip she officially announced her engagement One of her traveling companions on that trip, um, his name was Nicholas Longworth III. Uh, He was a congressman from Ohio. He was also on the trip. And I guess throughout this trip, they became closer and closer. They got engaged. um, And everyone just like lost their mind. The fact that Alice was going to be marrying this politician who's on the rise was like, oh my gosh, crazy, crazy. But also he was 14 years older than her. But I feel like, I don't know, isn't that... Maybe that was like older times than the than this era. Yeah, apparently people were just like... I'm guessing too, like think about it, if she's kind of a, a celebrity and you're like, she's like the hot girl in town, like why is she marrying this like old man (laughs) yeah for lack of a better term old man right not to say like he I'm sure he was a great guy uh but I'm I bet you that would be like like wait what like where did that come from but the wedding was about to happen they were planning for it um I guess she went to New York and she was looking for just like wedding accessories and fun stuff and I guess the crowds got so bad the police had to intervene because everyone was like oh my gosh like there's Alice she's looking for wedding stuff like everyone was obsessed with this wedding which is pretty intense that it got so crowded that the police had to intervene considering there's like there was no social media There was no paparazzi. Well, there might have been paparazzi or a version of it at the time, you know, like, but it's like, 
how did everyone know to the extent that it was so crowded you need to get the police involved? <laughs> well, and it's actually funny. So she, she was quoted as saying in her biography, like, at the time, there was no Hollywood. There were no movie stars in those days. They liked my father, and there was I having a good time and not really giving a damn. So people were just like, she was like the scuttlebutt. Like, everyone's like, what's Alice up to? There was nothing, no one else to idolize or look for. So I bet word just spread really quickly. Yeah. And, it, you know, a city like New York, just walking down the street like, hey, Alice is down the street shopping. Yeah. Whoosh. Nicholas and Alice were married on February 17th, 1906. And as I kind of alluded to before, their wedding was a huge deal. It was really heralded as like the social event of the season. There was over a thousand guests. People were lining the streets hoping to like see the couple after the ceremony. It reminded me of like a legit royal wedding. Yeah. At the wedding, they received so many great gifts from royalty all around the world. Um, They got a pearl necklace from Cuba, a gold box from England's Edward VII, a diamond bracelet from Germany's Willem II, and she even got jewelry from the Dowager Empress of China. So, like, the fact that so many high-stakes leaders around the globe were so excited for her and sent her these amazing gifts really speaks to kind of the relationships and bonds that she made with them and the respect that they had for her, which I think is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for her. And another just little fun tidbit from her wedding. Um, Apparently she sliced her wedding cake with a sword that she borrowed from one of the soldiers that were there. She was like, hey, can I borrow that? I need to cut my cake. And she cut her wedding cake with a sword. Because Alice is a go big or go home kind of girl, it sounds like. She really, really is. So after marriage, she devoted a lot less time to the social scene and really focused her energy and efforts um, into the political realm. So I want to talk a little bit more about kind of the impact there. Not as much shenanigans in the rest of her tale, but definitely just as much impact. She initially served as an advisor to her father and... As I mentioned, she really kind of was involved in politics one way, shape, or form for the rest of her life. One thing that I read um, early on, right after she had gotten married, she was campaigning with her new husband in Ohio. Uh, This was 14 years before the passage of the 19th Amendment, and she was with him. She was helping him do his campaign stuff in Ohio, and a correspondent wrote, ah, if once an Once only, Ohio could vote for Mrs. Nicholas Longworth instead of her husband. What a landslide there would be. (laughs) I mean, yeah, honestly, like, she probably could have, like, made a fair play there. Exactly. Um, So no one knows what her husband had to say to that comment, but I thought that was pretty funny that they put that out there. Her and her husband did drift apart politically in 1912, so apparently this election was pretty... uh, pretty intense. Um, Alice supported her father's progressive party rather than her husband's Republican party. So they started to have a rift that way. And I'm sure that didn't help their relationship uh, either. So Theodore Roosevelt died in 1919. Uh, Following his death, Alice led the charge to keep the U.S. from joining the League of Nations. And she used her influence over legislators to really help um, help that along. In the 1920s, she was 
connected to two of the most powerful men in Washington. So at the time, her husband, Nick. Uh, So he had become Speaker of the House in 1925. And also her lover. Uh So I lied. There's a little more uh, scandal. So one thing that Alice was not all about was monogamy. Uh, So it was well known that she kept a not-so-secret roster of lovers in Washington, as did her husband. So it sounds like they both had, they both, you know, did their thing. You know, that's fine. Do what you need to do. As long as it's, you know, a consensual agreement, then it's no judgment from me. (laughs) Right. Who knows? But I guess Alice wasn't super discreet. But the longest um, relationship she had was with a man named Senator William Bora of Idaho. Everyone really knew about that situation and obviously her husband. So she was well-connected um, politically and I guess sexually slash politically. I mean, sometimes that's how you get stuff done. <laughs> In 1925, Alice gave birth to her only child, a daughter named Paulina. It was revealed after her death that her daughter was actually fathered by William Bora. She was fully aware of this fact at the time, and she was planning on naming her daughter Deborah, as in Deborah, but chose not to um, and named her, which was Paulina or Paulina. I feel like because there's a street in Chicago, it's Paulina. So I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I grew up my entire life calling it Paulina. And then I moved to Chicago. And now I still call people Paulina. But the street in Chicago, Paulina. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she had a daughter. Uh, it was not fathered by her husband. But this was revealed after her death. Uh, her husband, Nicholas Longworth, did die in 1931. And she did continue to be involved in politics. That didn't really stop her at all. She was very um, extremely hot or extremely cold with the sitting presidents and those close to him. So they were like besties or they were like, I hate them enemies. Enemies. Got it. It was said that she was a pretty tough critic of Franklin D. Roosevelt um, during his times trying to combat the Great Depression She had a syndicated newspaper column at the time. She condemned all of his policies. I mean, some of her sharpest, like, jabs and things were directed at FDR. And also her cousin. Her cousin was Eleanor Roosevelt. And she would just, like, go for the throat. So she didn't care if you were family or not. She was going to express her feelings on how she felt. So you go, Alice. Uh, She did eventually get a seat on the National Board of Directors of America First, which was an organization devoted to maintaining U.S. neutrality in World War II until Pearl Harbor. Um, After the war ended, Alice campaigned for Ohio Republican Robert Taft. Uh, So they had traveled to Asia before. She also became friends with the Kennedys, the Nixons, the Johnsons. It was said she was very charmed by the Kennedys. She found them fascinating. Uh, She would also get into a lot of, like, verbal sparring and debates with Robert Kennedy. Um, She described Johnson as an engaging rogue elephant of a man. (laughs) Apparently, she was very... Very well connected with uh, Nixon. They were they got along very very well. He attended her 90th birthday party during the height of gonna, Watergate. I was gonna <laughs> say, I'm like, how old did she end up being? 
<laughs> Wait, she knew Nixon? I'm like, I'm sorry. Why aren't we just talking like 1800s here? Like, Yeah. No, during the height of the Watergate scandal, Nixon goes to Alice's 90th birthday and was like, this is a great party. Wow. <laughs> so homegirl knew how to party. She knew how to host. For a majority of her life, she hosted a salon um, at her home and a lot of, you know, thoughts and views and deals and things happened. She would invite scientists, authors, diplomats, politicians, everyone would come to her house and like a chance to go there was like a really big deal. And she just kind of hosted this amazing space where people could come and share ideas and just kind of talk amongst themselves. Yeah. Alice is well remembered for once saying, if you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. So she had a um, a throw pillow that she put in her home with this embroidered on it because she like wanted like all the dirt, all the tea. Like, you want to talk shit? Like, come sit right here. <laughs> There's a cute picture of her uh, if you look her up holding the pillow and she looks very, very happy. Ah, she's proud of it. <laughs> So, unfortunately, Alice did eventually pass away. Uh, She died on February 20th, 1980, a few days after turning 96. So she had... She had a very solid run. I mean, definitely, she accomplished so much during her time. She had so much influence. She had so much fun. And I wanted to end it with this quote that she had given. Uh, So she was... In her elder years, reflecting on her life, and she said, All I've really done is have a good time. I've covered a lot of territory. I'm amused, and I hope amusing. And I just think that's such a good way to sum up 96 years of life. And I think she just seemed to have such a great attitude. She did what she wanted. She was definitely way ahead of the times with all that she did and was really kind of the OG influencer before there were influencers. So I just thought her story was really, really cool. Oh my God. That's so fun. I love that. Like, especially for that time period that she just lived like a very authentic life and was just very like, yeah, I know I'm the president's daughter, but I don't care. I'm just going to do me. Right. And I love that she had such a run, like 96 years old. That's crazy. The people that she must have met in her lifetime. I just can't even fathom. Right. And not even just being like the president's daughter, but just being like a woman of the time to just be like, I'm going to do what I want. Like, I think she just that's the reason why so many people respected her and were so interested by her, just because she was breaking societal norms and just kind of doing what she wanted to do. Alice. Yeah. Yes. Love her. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for teaching us today about Alice Roosevelt. That was really fun. I am glad to finally know her full story, not just the headline. Uh, If you guys want to check out Deanna's source notes, feel free to go to our website, historicalpodcast.com. Those will all be posted on there. Also, check us out on social medias. Follow us, share us, all the above. Uh, We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, threads, the new cool threads that all the kids are on these days. We're so happy. But yeah, check us out there. Feel free to send us a Gmail if you guys have any feedback or have any uh, uh, episode suggestions. That is historicalpodcast at gmail.com. And just do us a favor and like us on whatever podcast streaming service you are using right now. Give us a review. Five stars is great. Write us a review. 
all of the above, you know, we love to hear from you guys. So again, Dina, thank you so much for teaching us today about Alice's life and to our listeners. Thank you as well. And we love you. We love you lots. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Okay. What would you name your purse snake? I mean, I don't think it, what was it? Something spinach? Lydia spinach? I don't remember. Emily spinach? Emily spinach. I don't know. My purse snake? Ted. Mine would be Sven. 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 That's a good name. Yeah. I feel like he needs a second name. Like Sven the... Sven the sorcerer. Sure. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.